Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. I take it back. The walrus is not boring. Not anymore. Not right now. I'm not talking about the magazine itself. I am talking about what is happening at their office with the people who work there and with the people who don't work there anymore. The walrus is in meltdown mode. And that's not my hyperbole. That is how walrus publisher Shelley Ambrose herself put it in an internal email that has been provided to Canada Land. The story is not just about many people, over 10 people, Quitting from the walrus in this media environment in a very short period of time. It is not just about four other people who have been fired from the walrus. It's about much more than that. This is about allegations of editorial theft. This is about ethics. And this is about accusations, many of them, of workplace bullying and verbal abuse. Our editor, Jane Litvinenko, and I have been investigating this thoroughly. We've spoken to 19 current and former Walrus employees, and we're now ready to tell you this story here on the podcast and in a thorough investigative article on the website, which is online right now. In one moment, you will hear one at a time from three people at the center of this. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Gail, Bill Evans, Steve Tassin, Bita Varel, Arthur Taylor, 
Tim Kelly, Claire McWatt, Ian Randall, and Andrew Dunn. Andrew, why did you decide to be awesome? Because you provide an important and independent source of information that I can't get anywhere else. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by the R. James Travers Foreign Corresponding Fellowship. Listen, journalists listening to this, you have until November 9th to apply to this fellowship. What is the Travers Fellowship? It is $25,000 that is provided for a journalist's travel, reporting, research expenses while they're covering a major foreign story. You recently heard Laura Payton on this show. She was a Travers Fellow. The money helped her to look into whether Canada's funding has made a positive impact on maternal, newborn, child health in developing countries. That's the kind of thing this fellowship is for. And we've asked Susan Harada, who is the Associate Director of the School of Journalism and Communications at Carleton University, to tell us more about the Travers Fellowship and why it was founded. This fellowship really uh, enables Canadian journalists to do the kind of work that is really important, that they don't get the time necessarily or support to do anymore. There has been a policy change because of the journalism that's been done through the Travers Fellowship. Guys, this award is eligible for anyone working as a freelancer or a full-time journalist as long as they have a valid work permit. It is open to journalism grad students and teams working in all mediums, print, digital, television, and radio. You have till November 9th to apply for the fellowship. Visit CUSJC.ca slash Travers. Once again, that's C-U-S-J-C dot C-A slash Travers. This all began with a complaint on a message board about one story that the Walrus commissioned. It was from a journalist named Alex Gillis. Alex is an established freelancer, an investigative journalist, an author, a university instructor. 
He posted to a popular forum, uh, a listserv for editors and writers. And what he said there about the walrus and about its editors was astonishing. And he came into the studio to tell me about it. Tell me about what happened with this story that you pitched to the walrus, that you wrote for the walrus. Right. Well, I pitched the story to Sasha Chapman. She said, great idea. We'll take it. Then she left. So she passed my story on to the managing editor, Kyle Wyatt. What was the story about? So an investigative piece about academic cheating in Canadian universities and what profs, universities, and students were doing about it. Mm -hmm. And Kyle liked it. And we negotiated a November cover story, about 6,000 words. I submit a first draft, and he sends me a fixed note. It's called basically a page, page and a half of comments from him and John Kay, the editor-in-chief. He said it was a solid first draft. The bones were there, but there were major things they needed done. So I said, great, sure, let's get to work. And I guess they started the art on the story as well. The uh, illustration for The illustration, yeah. yeah. So I thought, great, everyone's on board. The editor-in-chief, the managing editor, who's my handling editor. I wrote a second draft, submitted it to Wyatt. And he came back within a day or two, said, give me an ultimatum. He said, we're killing the piece or uh, my colleagues and I are going to completely rewrite it from start to finish. Your byline will be on it. And that's it. We're in a rush. We got to do this. As I emailed back and forth and got him on the phone, it became apparent that I wasn't going to have any input. He said, we didn't have time to negotiate a rewrite. That's what he said. So they were just going to do it all. And sign your name to it. And keep my name on it. So I didn't say, fuck you, but I said, well, no, it's not professional. It's not how things are done. I'm not happy with that. I'll take the kill, obviously. It was a stressful call with Wyatt, the managing editor. I said, well, what's wrong with the second draft? Like, he wouldn't tell me. He just said, John Kay, the editor-in-chief there, had a very particular idea about how stories should go, including how mine should go, and they wanted more of an essay, more opinion, that kind of thing. I said, okay, well, you guys hired me to do an investigative feature about academic cheating. But now if you want a completely different style and much a lot more opinion, okay, I'll do that. Let's do it. I'll work with you. We'll both rewrite it. I was amenable. He sent me an email and said, we don't have time to discuss a rewrite, to negotiate a rewrite. So we're killing the piece. Mm -hmm. And at that point, we had a conversation. I called him up, negotiated a 50% kill fee, and... It's a very specific conversation that he said, look, we'll give you 75% of the original fee and we, the walrus, will keep all your material and we'll rewrite your story. I said, no, I'll take the 50% kill fee, even though this isn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. John Kay decided to turn it into a kind of essay. It's a different assignment. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I said, given the time crunch you guys are facing, I said, why don't we work on my story for future issue, right? And then there will be time crunch because it's a really good story. It's a big story, especially for anyone in university, send their kid to university. And he said, no, the decision has been made to kill it permanently. Yeah. Six weeks later, I open up the walrus. It comes in my mailbox. I open it up. And there's my story on the cover, but Kyle Wyatt wrote it. Uh, he wrote a completely different story. There's no plagiarism. He used only a little bit of my research. It was no big deal. Just very general stuff. He stole my idea. The walrus stole my idea and ran with it. And there's a certain irony there in the idea that they stole, isn't there? Well, yeah. I wonder, did John Kay and Kyle Wyatt step back and go, hey, we're cheating here on a story that's about academic cheating? And I don't know. I don't think they did. Typically, when you get your kill fee 
And, you know, the magazine industry is kind of unique in that you could do the total job. I mean, there's no – you could get killed at the 11th hour after you've done everything that you were commissioned to do. Sure, yeah. And you only get paid half. But what you get is the right to go and shop it around elsewhere. Right. And usually that means that there's some kind of conversation about you guys aren't going to pursue this idea. You're giving me back my idea to go take it somewhere else. Did you have a conversation right. like that with Kyle? I did have a conversation like that, Yeah. I don't know. It sounds kind of weird, but if that's how you guys do it, then, then that's fine. Let's yeah, I mean, I'll, it's, I'll it's, sell it somewhere else. I mean, it's my material. I'm going to write a book about it. I'm assuming you're not going to publish a story like this in the next nine year, nine months or, or 12 months. I mean, it's my story. So, I mean, are you guys writing a story like this or running something? Uh, I mean, as I said, as I said, if, if you were interested in um, a slightly higher kill fee, we would, we would retain... Uh, your research and uh, some well, no, that's not worth it. I, I have. To, I'm going to retain my material because I have to sure. resell it. I'm taking sure. a huge loss. On, I mean, the six thousand wasn't even covering my time. I put more time in than that. So yeah, I'll take the kill fee and keep my material and publish it somewhere else in some form. Sure. But I'm asking you: Are you going to take my idea and write your own story, assign it to someone else? Uh, that's not our plan. No. Okay, thanks. So the weird thing is, after Wyatt left the Walrus, he told me that he had told John Kay, hey, I promised the writer that we wouldn't run his story idea. John Kay, when I talked to him last night and last week, said he had no idea. But then I stepped back, I thought, I actually asked John Kay, I said, you're the editor of the whole magazine. Like, didn't a red flag go up? The guy who just edited my piece, uh, you killed it, with him, and then he writes exactly the same idea, mm-hmm. writes about the same idea. Wasn't that a red flag to you? I mean, and he said, no. John told me, John Case said, oh, well, there was no red flag because I just thought you and Kyle left on good terms mm-hmm. and you were going to resell your piece. And I thought, why would I leave on good terms? You basically just fired me. Like, how, how is someone who's fired or ki- you know, the story's killed on good terms and the standard in the industry anyways you're not supposed to take a writer's idea you know you're not supposed to run with it you're supposed to yeah. wait a bit of time then you run with it industry Whatever. standard and it seems just like a basic concept of ethics or decent behavior yeah so you came forward on a writers and editors discussion board that has a lot of people who work in the industry following along and you told this story to your professional community what happened when you did Right. So the Toronto Freelance Editors and Writers Group, or TFU, is run by David Hayes, me, and Jess Ross. And there are about 900 editors and writers across the country who, who talk, you post each day. So I just posted, warning about the walrus. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'd spoken to Wyatt after he'd been let go or he, he quit, I don't know. And he told me some stuff about how the magazine was running. It was total chaos. What did you hear? Like, what kind of chaos? Well, they were rewriting pieces of major writers, very good writers who I'd read, and writing them from start to finish. You got that from Kyle? No, I got that from another writer, actually. And I, actually, yeah, Kyle told me that, too. Mm-hmm. Kyle told me that, too. I spoke to him last Friday. Mm-hmm. John Kay responded to you on that message board, and then I understand that you've since spoken with him on the phone. Yeah. To his credit, John Kay promised to pay me the rest of the fee. So I'm getting 100% of the fee. He okay. apologized in public. Uh, he admitted to making a mistake. He called it unethical mm-hmm. that he um, worked with Kyle Wyatt on 
writing this this story, on taking my idea. Yeah. Use that word, unethical. And I appreciated that, you know. Do you feel satisfied by that? I sort of don't, actually. I'm, I'm impressed that he did. That in itself is rare because I've worked with other editors. I've heard of others stealing ideas. Uh, you know, and this is much more common than you'd think. A, a lot of writers struggle in this country working with editors who, under incredible time pressures, budget constraints from the owners of the, the magazine or newspaper, and the writers flounder and they end up getting burned somehow. So for Kate to actually come out and say, sorry, that was a mistake, the walrus wants to work at a higher standard with its writers, that was great. Yeah. He's not speaking with us. He says he legally can't speak with us. Can you tell me what his position on all of this is? Yeah, he basically just apologized right away. There was sort of a suggestion that he wasn't necessarily copying to having done these things to you, but he was taking responsibility that they had been done to you and apologizing for that. Right. I posted a second time and said, Okay, more precisely, what are you apologizing for? Because it's your magazine, you're in charge of it. Like, did you not know what's happening in your own, uh, you know, on your own masthead? The other thing that, that Kay said was that he's coming from the National Post op-ed pages. He was the f- editor there. Yeah. And he was used there to rewriting a lot of pieces. And I thought, I actually talked to him last night and I asked him, how do you compare the National Post to, to the walrus? I mean, you're getting people, anyone almost, sending their opinions, short pieces, to the National Post, the opinion editorial pages, right? How is that the same as an investigative feature, a cover story for the walrus? From a professional writer? Yeah, I mean, I slaved months over this story. It's you not may like, want to write a book about this. I, mean, this I told is, them I was going to write a book about it. Uh-huh. It's not the same as a public relations or PR expert sending an op-ed thing to the National Post. Yeah, what, so, did, he, what did he say to that? Uh, he said he's a newspaper guy, basically, and he's worked with pieces where they don't have to rewrite, and he's worked with other writers where they have to rewrite everything. And so he's learning on the job. It's been a year now. He's been there a year, and he's still learning the basics that we're teaching in journalism school. Was a promise broken to you? Well, yeah. Wyatt said the walrus would not run a piece about academic cheating. So he broke his promise to me. When I talked to him last Friday, I said, okay. Maybe Kay, John Kay did force you to write this story. But why didn't you stand up and say, I can't do it? I'm breaking a promise to the writer. I can't do it because I've got ethics yeah. and I don't want to do that. It's pretty harsh that you learned about this when the magazine hit the stands too. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Like, I'm the only one I know of involving a story idea ripoff. But other writers have had serious problems working with both Kyle Wyatt and John Kay. When John Kay and Kyle Wyatt killed the piece, my piece, I accepted it. I was like, okay, it's your magazine. You're running it in this bizarre way where you just kill yeah. things fine. Yeah. But that they took my idea and immediately rewrote it. I mean, Wyatt wrote a major cover story in three or four days from scratch. So that's a monumental feat, first of all. And if you actually read his piece, there's not much research and interviews in it. It's just... It was about his personal experiences. But he told me I didn't want my first cover feature for The Walrus to be written in three or four days. Yeah. He really worked hard on that. So that tells me there was some pressure for The Walrus, maybe from John Kay, to fill that hole. Mm-hmm. And why? Why is there so much chaos at The Walrus? And why has there been so much trouble and chaos at The Walrus? Now, as you heard me say in that conversation, John Kay gave Canada Land a no comment when we asked him for an interview. Lawyer's orders, he said. 
If you want to read what he has said publicly, which was posted to that writer's and editor's message board, in a post where he takes full responsibility for what happened to Alex Gillis, but in which he declines to explain exactly what happened and why, well, we've posted that full response in our piece. As for Kyle Wyatt, well, there is more to tell when it comes to Kyle Wyatt. When Alex Gillis posted his complaint about the walrus online, it stirred up other stories about Kyle Wyatt some of which were sent to us, and we followed up on them. We got in touch with many people who have worked with him, and one of them agreed to come onto the show. Here she is. My name is Sarah Taggart, and I worked for The Walrus last year from September 8th to October 14th, 2014. What did you do there? I was a Chalkers fellow, technically. I was an editorial fellow, so I did research, fact-checking, and I was responsible for the poetry, and the fiction desk. So I basically watched the slush pile. When people sent in their stories and poems. Yeah, and I basically made sure that they got their rejection letters in a timely manner because hmm. it wasn't expected that I would find anything great in the slush pile. That was typically curated by somebody else. Right. And what is a Chalkers Fellow? What does that mean? Chalkers uh, is the family who funded the fellowship. It was the response of the magazine to... The unpaid internships they had previously had at the magazine, and then they got funding to actually pay their interns, and then we were called fellows. There was a crackdown, I remember, the, yes. the, the, the province, so they sort of made an example of the walrus. And, they and did, and they fined them quite a lot of money, as far as I understood. Yeah, there were like 11, not at the same time, but they, they were doing like 11 unpaid internships a year. So they got rid of that, and they replaced it with this fellowship where they got a family to fund the same jobs by... Paying them. Yeah, and what do they pay you? Um, it was slightly above minimum wage, so it was about $11 and some cents. Um, my biweekly paycheck was my rent, which was $700 a month. So I was making $700 um, every two weeks. You're making $350 a, a week. week. Yes. Uh -huh. When I worked for magazines, there was a veteran fact checker who was a well-salaried member of the team who would rigorously go through every line of my copy and, yeah. and call people up and, and verify to have people at 11 bucks an hour like, were the interns doing that before you guys? Um, as far as I know, yes, they were. They had unpaid interns doing the fact-checking. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, we took our jobs very seriously. Yeah. It was deemed a very serious position. What, was it competitive to get one of these fellowships? Yes. I don't know the numbers of people who applied for my job, but it was considered very competitive, and it was ve considered very prestigious to get the job. Yeah. So did you like the job? How was the job? I liked the job. I liked the work. And I liked the prestige that came with working at what I considered one of the best magazines in Canada. What about the culture? Uh, the culture I did not really like. It was an uncomfortable, um, sometimes extremely uncomfortable place to work, and I did not um, like going to work a lot of days. How come? Because I had um, one or possibly the worst boss I've ever had. And who was that? That was Kyle Wyatt. So why do you say that? He was scary. At first, I thought he was just demanding and anal retentive. And then as the weeks went by, I decided that he was scary and that I was scared to go to work and scared to screw up because I didn't know what might happen, how he would react. This is an important question. A lot of people have had shitty bosses, angry bosses, and bad work situations. Do you feel that the behavior crossed the line 
from acceptable tough behavior to what we might call verbally abusive or bullying behavior? I absolutely think it crossed the line. It was not acceptable and it should not go unnoticed and it should not go undocumented and it should not happen to other people and it should not go it should not be swept under the rug regardless of how the future goes for the magazine even though Kyle is gone I don't want it to be ignored by the people who are still there it absolutely was bullying and abusive and was harassment one of the things that we were not allowed to do was overtime because of the labor board crackdown yeah Overtime was like, no way you are paid for this exact amount of hours per week and you are not allowed because they didn't want to get fined again. They didn't want to get in trouble again. Do you mean you were not allowed to bill for overtime or you were not allowed to work there over the time? Well, we couldn't bill. Like there was no billing. Yeah. So even if like there was no you fill out this form, you get overtime. So there wasn't that available. That wasn't an option. And secondly, do not stay beyond because you are only paid to work here this many hours a day slash week. How many hours a week was it? It was 35 hours a week, if I remember correctly. So, like a, so a seven less hour than day. Full time. Yeah. And you weren't allowed to be there outside of those hours. We weren't supposed to be there. Yeah. And we would get in trouble if we were there early or late. What do you mean get in trouble? I mean, you're As adults. In like, I know, right? But sometimes we felt like children. What, how, like what, so what's the trouble? The trouble is, what are you doing here? Uh, the trouble is get out. The trouble is leave. Yeah. So getting yelled at for being there early or for being there late. Like not strong talk, but yelling? Absolutely. Would I you- would call it yelling because in, I mean, there is a difference, of course. In my opinion, strong talk does not elicit crying in the other person, but... Crying would happen at work. Who cried? At one of my colleagues, um, one of my fellow fellows, uh, the other one of the other fellows, and I also cried at work um, and after work. Um, and when, the, when when you and your colleagues got yelled at by Kyle? Yes. Right. At the very end of my tenure there, my colleague was instructed to finish a piece before she left for the day, mm-hmm. and it was the end of the day. It was the, technically the end of the workday, and Kyle told her to finish it before she left for the day. He leaves, and we're like, this is not physically possible. Yeah. You cannot both finish it in the next, you know, 60 seconds and leave on time. Yeah. Because it's not even anywhere close to done. So what happened? So she, in tears, had left. She's like, I'll come back tomorrow morning, and I'll finish it. Kyle had gotten into work at 8, and he said, he was angry and he yelled and he said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm working on this piece. And he's like, why are you working on that piece? You should be working on this piece, yelling. Mm-hmm. And she, upset and in tears, left and ran out of the office and went to a nearby coffee shop, which is where I found her. And we spoke for 45 minutes and I said, it's okay, we can do this. Together we'll do this. I'll be coming with you. I'll help you and we'll get the story done. And she said to me later that I rescued her and that if I hadn't come to the coffee shop, she was going to quit. She would have quit. Yeah. So that day, after the crying at the coffee shop, we had two meetings with Kyle that day. And the second meeting, Kyle was asking us, what can we do to make this issue run smoother? And how can we meet our deadlines and that kind of stuff? And he, and he said, is there anything else? And I said, okay, this is my chance. 
I'm going to speak up. I'm going to say something to support myself and my colleagues. And I said, one thing that can help us do our job better is if you don't speak to us the way that you speak to us. And I got emotional. I didn't mean to. I cried. And after a moment of silence, he said, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to change. And he said, if that's something that you have a problem with, then that's something you're going to have to think about, which I took to mean, if I didn't like it, I could get out. The following Tuesday, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, um, I showed up at work and shortly after I arrived, Kyle called me into his office, closed the door, sat me down, and he said, I'm going to have to let you go. And I said, why? And he said, it's just not working out. And I said, but why? Exactly what have I done? Mm-hmm. And he was very reticent. He said very little. He was silent. Uh, I said, can you please tell me what mistakes I made? I need to know going forward for my next job. Like, I don't want to do the same thing twice. If that's why you're firing me, what is it? And he said, it's just not working out. And he just kept repeating his phrases. Mm-hmm. I was told, basically, gather your things and leave. Your, yeah. your day is done. It was, it was about 9 or 9.30, but my day was done. And all of my days were done. And that was the end of my time at the Walrus. Why do you think you were fired? I think I was fired because I stood up for myself and my colleagues. And I think I was fired because Kyle didn't like being, being spoken up to. And I was fired because he didn't like me. Do you think that it was swept under the rug? And by that, I'm asking, do you think that management knew? Oh, they absolutely knew. There were others who, other women who had left the magazine, didn't want to come back from mat leave, other female fellows who had had bad experiences. Uh, It was known uh, around the office, both in, you know, the editorial, like the editors knew. I mean, you met with the editor-in-chief, the new editor-in-chief. I did with the new one, yes. With John Kay, and that was last December. Yeah. And I know that it was a while ago and you don't have a recording or anything. So the exact language used might be difficult to recall. But do you th- feel like that was an opportunity where it was conveyed that the behavior crossed the line? Oh, absolutely. That was my intention with the conversation was to get this information to John Kay because he wasn't going to get it from Kyle. A message that I had been treated unacceptably, that my colleagues had been treated unacceptably, and that he should do something about it. Sarah Taggart is not alone in describing the Walrus's former managing editor, Kyle Wyatt, as an abusive bully. Eight other people from the Walrus either used those words or agreed that those words are accurate to describe Kyle. And many of the people who left the Walrus told us that Kyle Wyatt was one of the reasons why they did. Now, as you've heard, Kyle recently parted ways with the Walrus, so I could not reach him at his old work email. I asked around and I got my hands on what I was told was a four-year-old personal cell phone number. I wasn't sure if it was still any good. I was not expecting him to pick up. I certainly was not expecting him to speak with me if he did answer the phone, but he did. Hello? Hi, is this Kyle? Yes. Kyle, it's Jesse Brown calling from the Canada Land podcast. Hi, Jesse. How are you? I'm well. How about yourself? (laughs) I've had had a better week, uh, but I'm okay. Thanks. So, of course, you've read the uh, posting from Alex Gillis on the uh, message board? That's right. Alex and I have spoken about it extensively since then. 
Well, he says that you ripped him off, did you? Does he say the walrus ripped him off or that I personally ripped him off? I don't think he specifies. I think the implication is that uh, his piece was ripped off. There was a story on this thing, something matter after the walrus had killed his story. That's fair to say. Specific to you, he writes that he asked you when he took his kill fee whether the walrus would be publishing anything about academic cheating in the near future and that you assured him that the walrus would not. Is that true? Um, it's true that I told him we didn't have plans to do anything, and at that point we did not. And when the plans changed, you didn't think to, to call him and ask him? Uh, that wasn't my call. Whose call was it? Uh, <laughs> it? It wasn't mine. As the editor who was working with him, you didn't feel any responsibility to tell him that you know the story he'd been working on for months was going to appear in, under your byline? Again, it wasn't my call. I was in a difficult spot. Anything more you could tell me about why you were in a difficult spot or why you were unable to, to get in touch with him? I can say that my departure from the walrus has nothing to do with Alex Gillis' story. So why were you fired, as you understand it? I left the walrus because the position had evolved and they're looking to reimagine the managing editor role. And I'd been there for a long time. I was dismissed without cause. What, you were not given a cause by them? It was they're reimagining the role. That's what they told you? Uh, that's right. Okay. Why did you fire Sarah Taggart? She wasn't working out. It was a decision that was made to move on. She feels that she was fired because she brought up the way that you spoke to her and her colleagues. And that after that weekend, immediately following that, you fired her and that's why. And that you didn't give her any reason beyond that it wasn't working out. Um, I, don't, I don't really want to talk about that. Um, if that's her interpretation, that's her interpretation. It's not just her interpretation. I, I've spoken to a good number of your of your former colleagues. And I can tell you that words that come up again and again are uh, verbally abusive and uh, bully to describe your behavior. Um, I think if you if you talk to many of my other colleagues, they would say uh, that I was a good co-worker and, um, and they, they all go along. I've heard from several people that you would yell at the fellows and that they felt that you were making impossible demands because they were not allowed to work beyond 35 hours a week, but the workload that was being demanded of them could not possibly uh, be completed in that time. I want to get your response to that. Jesse, the contract they signed with the Walrus is not my, that wasn't my contract. So I, I, don't, I don't feel I can respond to that. The troubles at the Walrus, I got to tell you, your name comes up quite a bit. But it's not all exclusive to you. People talk about how many stories got killed, how many uh, stories ended up being written by you or John Kay, and an increasing atmosphere of dissatisfaction. I've asked everybody else about that. I'd like to ask you as well. What do you think is wrong with the Walrus? I think that there has been a lot of turnover in the last 10 months. That creates a, a stressful dynamic, um, a stressful environment. But yeah, a lot of stories have been killed in the past 10 months or so. I think that's, I think that's fair. Uh, to say, and if you did the tally, it would be probably accurate to say that more stories were killed in the last year than the past four and a half years combined. All of the departures, I think there's like 12 in uh, in the recent, like since John Kay or around that time to, up till now, something like that. Something like that. Something like that. Your name comes up as a factor. Several people have said to me that, you know, not that you caused 12 departures, but that you were a reason why people kept leaving. <laughs> people may make that link. Uh, many of the departures were people who worked in other components of the organization that I had very little contact with other than conversation, you know, in the kitchen 
of his coffee uh, or water cooler. There were people who worked in other areas of the magazine. So back to Sarah Taggart, she tells me that she's on the record saying that she felt that you were verbally abusive and, and you scared her and that you bullied her and that she tearfully told you so and that she got a response from you that this is just how you were and you weren't going to change. And if she didn't like it, that's something she had to deal with. Is that an accurate description of what happened? I don't recall the conversation. She rubbed many people at the walrus the wrong way, uh, including other editors. You're employing a person for 11 bucks an hour with a pretty stressful job, and she's a month into it. Do you think that her rubbing people the wrong way is enough reason to, to fire her? I don't want to get into the specifics of that, Jesse. Okay. And to this description of you that so many people seem to agree on, is that a surprise to you to hear that? I think I'm a tough, I have high standards, and I don't think it's unfair to say that I was a tough uh, boss and a tough person to work with. But you can you can ask other people, uh, and they'll tell you that I was tough and I was fair, and that I, I helped people learn a lot about the industry and learn a lot about uh, what we were trying to accomplish at the Walrus. To your knowledge, did anyone ever complain about your behavior to management? I was never told that um, there was an issue. You were never told there was an issue? I was never, I mean, um, I know that there's a difference between people being frustrated and people, um, I was, I was never, um, I was never told that uh, the way in which, uh, I was running the organization, uh, running, uh, editorial or, or interacting with people was, was, um, something that needed to be changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really do appreciate you taking my call and answering these questions. And uh, it sounds like there's a lot of conflicting account of, of what went on. The part that I'm just having trouble with is you're telling me that it wasn't your call for you to rewrite Alex's story under your own name. And I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and see how even in a situation where somebody gave me those marching orders – I wouldn't feel just terrifically guilty and responsible to at least make a courtesy call to the writer who I'd worked so closely with to let him know that this was happening. I'm trying to figure out what could possibly excuse not communicating with him about that. You make a good point. And um, Alex and I have talked about it in the last few days. And I feel that Alex, I've explained to Alex the situation as best as I can from my perspective. And um, I I think you make a good point. And there's nothing you want to put on the record about that. Um, I mean, so, uh, I mean, yes, there, <laughs> uh, there are stuff I'd like to put on the record, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the high road on, on this, this component of the conversation and, um, and, and not say uh, a couple of things. All right, Kyle, again, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Sure thing, Jeffy. That was hard to understand at parts. So just to be totally clear, Kyle Wyatt denies abusing or threatening anybody at the Walrus. He gave us the names of former colleagues who he feels he had good relationships with. We reached out to six of them, and three of them agreed to speak with us, and they did describe him differently than our other sources. They said that Kyle was a tough but fair managing editor. So what is really going on at the Walrus? How could anybody involved think that it was okay for Kyle to rewrite Alex Gillis's piece, put his own name on it? 
And whether Kyle is an abusive bully or just tough and demanding, we do know that several people complained about him to management, even before John Kay was working there. So is it true, as Kyle states, that nobody ever told him that his behavior was a problem? And what is the larger context that all of these things are, are happening within? What is this meltdown that publisher Shelley Ambrose blamed John Kay for? Well, we take on those questions and much more. We found much more. And the best way to get that information across is in this article written by Jane Litvinenko and myself, which you'll find right now at canadalandshow.com. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. Email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown and the website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday and the next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. If you like this show, please support it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.